Welcome to Dragon Talk, everyone. Yes. 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 I am Greg Tito. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast, and I have with me the world's most recentest dungeon oh master, Charlie Mazenoble. Wow. You did Spoiler. it. Spoiler. I know, right? I, t- I stole your fire right away. Wow. <laughs> just wow. Shelly, you ran a game. Are we going in? Are we just going there? You Are ran a game for it? kids? It did it happen? Like, look, okay. <sighs> I have to get comfortable to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> I am about to blow your minds, people. Do it. Good people of the Dragon Talks. Because I finally have done. It has finally happened. I did, in fact... I was a dungeon master. You did it. It was all on your shoulders. And as suspected all along, it was children that got me to do it um, because I had found out our neighbors were very good friends with them. They have adorable nine-year-old twin girls and a six-year-old boy. Um, And their mother, Carrie, who's my good friend, came up to me and she said, Megan asked me how to play Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, oh, my God, that is my civic duty. The call has come. It was like seeing the bat signal. It was like an ampersand flashed in the sky before <laughs> me. I'm like, I got a teacher. She now wants to learn how to play. So, and Megan, out of all of the kids I know, was not the one I would have guessed would gravitate towards D and D. So we had to. We were watching them anyway on Sunday, mm-hmm. and I was like. Bart, it's now or never. It's got to happen. Here's what, okay. You all know like my failures of DMing in the past, like too much prep. I don't know what I'm doing. I very casually Sunday morning, just strolled downstairs, grabbed the essentials kit, poured a cup of coffee and just started flipping through the adventure. And I'm just like, "Hmm, this sounds fun. Yeah, that's cool. And like occasionally I would ask Bart a question and occasionally, like, we decided we don't, you know how you have a, to choose what quest you go on first? Yeah. Well, there was, like, a couple that I was like, I feel like I could run these ones. I feel confident. So I'm going to probably only give them these two choices. Right. Ding, ding, ding. DM tip that I learned from how to be a DM segments because people were like, yeah, of course. Like, you, you can guide people to where you don't want to railroad, but you can guide them to where you want them to go. Yeah. So, um, let me guess. Came, did you, you're doing essentials kit, right? So that means yeah. you probably did the manticore in the uh, windmill or the dwarven one, but not the no one. Those were exactly the two choices. Right. Yes. So we ended up in the, the dwarven one. Yeah. And first, I printed off the nerds character sheets because those oh, are cool. first level and like. Chris Tulak did a really good job designing them to be really intro friendly. Um, as it turns out, I don't think kids actually need character sheets. Uh, they barely reference them. And it was really just us saying, oh, roll that, roll your D20 and add four. Like we we told them what to do. They very seldom um, reference those sheets. So that was one of my key learnings from that. They did like naming their characters. Um, of course. And yes. So let them do that. But really, for, so it was Bart. He played. And we made him be a cleric, so like if anyone got too injured, he could just heal them up. Nice. And um, Quinn was a wizard, and um, Megan, the one who wanted to play this, she was a rogue, 
and Maya was the bard. Now, one thing you have to notice about these girls or know about these girls is they are very shy, like painfully, like I, I knew them for years and never heard them speak. Like they never, oh, wow. they wouldn't even That's look That's very at shy. They're very shy. Um, and I was like, oh, you want to be a bard, do you? Okay. <laughs> so several times in the game, like they when they had to go talk to the dwarves and try to convince them to leave, I was like, actually, like, uh, I think her bard's name was like Bard. Bard, you know, you're very charismatic. You're very charming. Like, you know, this is probably a good job for you. And she was like, okay. And she just like went up there and was talking, just like crazy good arguments, like wow. very convincing. Um, Megan was also just like, like, oh, Greg, I used your tactic when they when they did an action. I was like, describe to me what that looks like. They oh, actually nice. got out of their chairs and were like, I'm like this and I'm going to stand here and I'm going to jump off this. There were so many giggles. There was so much like they were completely just like in the story. And I another tactic I used that I learned was I made their principal from school be the quest giver. Oh, cool. So, like, I just wanted it to be, like, somewhat familiar to them. And they were like, oh, yes, we understand this authority figure and we will do things. <laughs> That's please. a lot easier to understand. Yes. Um, I will also say that there was one player at the table who was actually a little annoying. And it wasn't Bart this time. Not Bart. No. But uh, somebody who is part Bart. Part Bart. <laughs> <laughs> that was the name you um, originally gave to Quinn, Part right. Bart. Part Bart. So Part Bart was like <laughs> immediately he's like, I'm bored. What are we doing? Can we can I just die? Can my character die? I'm like, please calm down. So mm. I realized so you had to deal with problematic players. I the table did. Too. But fortunately I have we have talked to Dungeon Masters on that topic as well. So I immediately in my head was like Okay, these girls are like all in on story. Like they're they're loving just like talking to these NPCs. They like understanding what their quest is. They like problem solving. This kid just wants to fight something. Mm. So on their way to the Dwarven Enclave, I was like, oh, you notice there's a sign and the sign says free milk and cookies with an arrow and it's pointing into the forest. And the girls were like, no, God, we're, no. And Quinn was like, I want to go there. So he, I made him have like a quick little interaction with like a, uh, just some random guy that I just invented. And so Quinn got to like, kind of like scare him away, but he, he just wanted to like roll dice and do stuff. Um, so that, so I just, I just, and you improvise that? Yes. Wow. And I am telling you, like I was so calm and relaxed this whole time and every now and again I'd just be like Bart what do I roll for that and or what do I do here and he would just tell me so big deal I asked a question and occasionally I was like I'm sure there's a chart for this that could tell me like what I should be rolling like if they wanted to if they wanted to do something and I wanted to see if they succeeded I can't think of what what that is now like a skill challenge like yeah like a skill I just was like who cares? Roll, yeah. Just roll, Maya. Uh, okay, pass, fail. Like it was just like, yeah. yeah. And there was times when they they got uh, injured, um, and they were like totally cool with that. And I will. They were so creative and clever with their solutions to how they they were fighting a green slime, um, like a whatever whatever that thing is. And I, now I can't remember. 
It was a slime creature, a slime monster. Oh, yeah, like a, I think it's a yellow ochre. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the ooze uh, ochre or jelly? Yes. So um, they were they were concerned about hitting it because they thought that it would like splat back and hit them, which I thought was like, that's pretty interesting. Oh, when they were looking for secret doors, yeah. I was like, Rogie, get in here and like check out these, do something. They all had like a chance to do something that, that was unique to their character. And I said, well, how, what do you do to look for a secret door? And she was like, well, I'm going to look at the floor and I'm going to see if there's any scuff marks that would imply like a door had been opening and closing here. I'm like, that's so smart. Very smart. <laughs> yeah. So um, we played, it was probably like an, an hour, which I actually felt like it ended at a perfect time. We ended yeah. on a high and I could tell like they would have continued, but I didn't want them to keep continuing because attention span and i wanted them to leave wanting to play with me again nice uh you did it i I did it and i have never felt like i was so just like all day on a high i'm like oh i show me more i'm gonna start reading the the dungeon master's guy like cover to cover (laughs) now now it's for me that's for me (laughs) i am gonna like start oh then i started i was like oh my god i get magic items now i get magic items like that's why pe- that's why dungeon masters love. I should have given them something. I actually did. I forgot to give them. I did what? not equip them for their Any adventure. rewards or anything. Oh, okay, yeah. Totally forgot to do all that. Didn't matter. Like the principal just basically sent them on this quest and gave them nothing. No bigs. Yeah. You know, it's probably fine for a new players anyway. Well, right, and you can start that with the next session. Be like, okay, you know, as you know, the success that you had in your last mission, I'm going to give you X, right? And you can do that. Well, then I was really nervous for the rest of the day because I'm like, what if, like, why isn't Carrie calling me to tell me how much fun her kids are? You didn't get the review I didn't get any feedback yeah. uh, until the next day we were walking back from school drop-off and she was like, oh my God. Like, that's all they talked about all night. They, oh, she's like, really? they recounted, she's like, I know everything that happened in the adventure. I know that Quinn's spells were cast out of his butt. I know that uh, <laughs> they left, and they they even left Quinn in the woods, and then came home, told the principal when they were collecting their gold pieces. They said, "Oh, he stay. He wanted to stay in the woods, and he said we should just give him his money." And I'm like, "So you're lying?" <laughs> and they were like, "Yeah, we are. We're just Roll a take deception his check. Money. Yes, I yes. had them do that, and they passed, and they loved it. That's so and great. And so did Quinn. He was like, that's funny. Oh, they left You would me have done the- that, yeah. Yeah, I'm in the woods just casting spells out of my butt. What I love about this, Shelly, is A, we've been talking about it for six years at the very right. least, about you getting back Jeez. under the table. And I can't believe this is a historic Dragon I, Talk episode because of I that. I feel like it is, yes. Um, but also, uh, well, it is because we have Wolfgang Bauer coming up. We get to talk to Liz Shu, who is full of history uh, from, from, yeah. from from our past in D&D and Wizards uh, history. Um but I love that you you just mentioned like six different things over the course of many D and D how to DM sessions, our yeah. interviews, uh, our play sessions together with me as dungeon master. That you just picked different parts of them and yes. and synthesized them into your style of playing Dungeons and Dragons, and that's dungeon mastering. Greg, it was in me all along. It was <laughs> it was inside you. All it along. was there. Like I was there were several times during that game where I was like. I actually know way more than I thought I did. I think if you're not putting it to practice, then you don't really know if you know it. But yeah. I was like, I actually do know it. And I think I I think I'm actually not even the worst dungeon master. 
This was your Ralph Macchio, uh, Mr. Miyagi <laughs> moment. It totally where was. You didn't realize you were painting the fence this whole time. No, and I could hear the voices of past guests, like just <laughs> guiding me through. I'm like, oh my God, that makes sense to me now. And this makes more sense to me now. And I yeah, I probably can't. should have done this just because of my job. I probably, <laughs> I feel like I can even do that better now too. Well, now you did and it's all there. And I love it that we, it only took, uh, you know, 300 plus episodes of cajoling to get you to do it. And we, yes. we finally did it. But I've it's happened. It. Uh, and I can't wait for more. Are you going to give us all the after action reports on all of your dungeon mastering I, uh, to come? I really hope. They said they want to play again. So Sweet. And now their brother wants to play too. All right. I'm in. I want to well, play. Although I'm kind of into <laughs> inviting a couple other neighborhood girls because I kind of like the Make idea the of like an all club. girl. Yeah. yeah. And then you want to have moms. Quinn being like, I'm farting out of my butt all the time. Like, let Bart run those for Quinn. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like we we can we can do that stuff on our own. We but yeah. I I I just loved how invested they were in yeah. this game and how quickly they got it. They just I was like, this is a cooperative game. You're together. You're, yeah, and they're like, oh, well, because it's so akin cool. to playing pretend, right? Like if they if they they're do naturals. play dolls or or play with action figures, if we're talking about Bart and his action figures. <laughs> uh, you know, like it's the same deal, just with a little bit of rules behind it. So I love that they grokked it so quickly. They did. And it was very natural and very just empowering. So Sweet. Well, all of you listening at home who have not taken the leap into Dungeon Mastering quite yet, let Shelly guide you. She knows. I know now. You can do it. It really is fun. Yeah. And then now you can look at uh, Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons, which just came out. With, with has- new fresh eyes. The dungeon master's eyes that you you currently have, you can uh, throw some dragons at your players uh, from any age category in there. Lots oh. of fun stuff to mine in that book. Uh, check it out, and then Strixhaven. You might even be able to run like a magic. If they're talking about principles. You can use that stuff for oh running God. a magical school with those kids. That would be so, so I, fun too. And they love that. That's like their jam. Like yeah. they're they. Do you think you could take the university and make it an elementary school? I think you can. <gasps> Greg, that's like just the did. nicest thing you ever said to me. You're you're a dungeon mistress and it is rocking. I can do it. I can I do it. anything because like all of you dungeon masters have said all along, you just make it up. You make it up? You're just making it up. It's so fun. Oh, all right. Well, it. we're doing it. I love it. Thanks. Everybody grab a hold of all of the fun stuff that is to come for Dungeons and Dragons and become dungeon masters to your neighborhood children. If, yes. If, if that's okay. Yes. Uh, ask their parents first. Ask their parents first and then make it happen. <laughs> ask, ask their parents' permission. <laughs> awesome, Shelly. Well, I'm inspired and I feel like I'm about to be even more inspired with all the people we're talking to on this episode uh, as, as we're talking to Wolfgang Bauer and all of the fun stuff that Cold Bar Press is doing that's coming up. But before we do that, let's call up our, our old boss, Liz Shu, and uh, see what she has to say about all the fun stuff that she does for Wizards of the Coast that I don't think many of our... Uh, listeners are aware of. She is pretty instrumental to everything D&D on your shelf. Everyone, let's welcome Liz Shu to Insight Check. Hi, Liz. Yay! Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. 
nice to see you. Nice to see you too. So great. I think this is the first insight check where you have been the boss to both of us uh, uh-huh. at some point in our careers at Wizards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very strange, but true. Several times. You you tried to shake me a few times, and I always found my way back. <laughs> there I am again. And didn't, didn't you actually hire Shelly? Is that true, Liz? I did. I interviewed Shelly 22 years ago. God! Uh, which is crazy. Wow. Uh, well, hold on. Yeah. I have to roll an inside check on that. Yeah. I I don't know. Oh, yeah. That. No, that's, that's valid. That's true. I've got a 16. <laughs> yeah. 22 years ago, Shelly came in. She wowed us with an awesome story about wearing a chicken suit. And we were like, oh, yeah. we're in love. We have to Team have Team player <laughs> right there. I wore a chicken suit and danced with children at a like a, a radio. I used to work for a radio station. And it was like a, a fundraiser, a remote that they were doing. Somebody had to wear that chicken suit mm-hmm. and it was me. So you didn't necessarily charm the children, but you did charm Liz. And that's all that matters. Yes. I mean, I, yeah. I was pretty... Charming, Greg. I think I think Shelly charmed the whole the whole team who was interviewing her. And uh, I also remember you had a really fabulous outfit on. You had like some cool blouse and a skirt, and Aww. you just looked very fab. So I it's I we probably had to spent you. like all like like an entire paycheck on that outfit. <laughs> <laughs> like back then, I know what I was making, and I know I was probably trying really hard to be professional and. It was probably really scary to have to drive all the way to Renton. Yeah. I mean, how how often had you done that before? Probably I don't never. think I... Once, because I went to Ikea. Oh, okay. So you kind of knew the neighborhood. <laughs> I, knew, I knew the neighborhood just for that reason. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. But you have... So that was when you you were on the promotions team, right? That's true. Yeah. So I was, at that time, uh, not really working on Dungeons & Dragons. I was mostly working on Magic the Gathering uh, Pokemon. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I really didn't work on D and D until 2000, right around the launch of the third edition rule set. Even though you hail from there, I'm using that word again, Greg, hail (laughs) from the, the kind, the land of Dungeons and Dragons sort of. That's true. Yeah. I grew up in Milwaukee area and, uh, had a lot of friends at school and my cousin was a big D and D player and, I, so I knew all about D and D, but it was a time when girls kind of weren't invited to the table so much, mm. yeah. and I knew that there was this thing called Gen Con that my cousin went to, but um, but yeah, it was just kind of outside of my uh, my realm at that time. That's and then did you come from Wisconsin to work at Wizards? I did. Yeah, moved from Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to college, to Seattle, and uh, it was you know. Drive across the country, check it out, see how it worked out. Maybe drive right back, and uh, <laughs> here I am. Twenty-five years plus later. years later, right? <laughs> it I worked out. Here. Yeah, so, yeah. I guess it worked. I'll say. Yeah. Well, then you were there for the launch of uh, third edition in two thousand. You said. Yeah. Uh, what were you doing uh, for that edition? Well, so I was primarily working on the Star Wars role playing game at that time, mm. which was really fun. Because uh, I got to go to Skywalker Ranch and I got to work oh, with wow. Lucasfilm and Lucas Licensing. And so that was a lot of fun. Uh, but it also was really my introduction to the third edition rule set because uh, the Star Wars role-playing game used the third edition rules. And um, and then that's how I got to uh, started playing D&D and then eventually started working primarily on D&D, on 
uh, the uh, Forgotten Realms novels, Dragonlance novels. So that's really how I got into the whole thing. That's so cool. And I met you, I think, for the first time when I was a journalist for uh, The Escapist. And I think you were on an interview with, I don't even remember who the other person is, but I do remember you being uh, on the call and doing such a uh, great job of, of, of selling D&D uh, at that time. Yeah, so we're, I think maybe you were in the group of journalists that we brought out to kind of reveal this whole idea yeah. of D&D Next. For D&D Next, uh, too. I guess yeah. that's probably when I met you face-to-face for the first time. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, that was, uh, you know, such a fun time because we, uh, you know, just we knew we wanted to make big changes, but we wanted to bring the community along with us. And so it was really important that uh, that we start with some of our key influencers, journalists who write about D&D. And, um, you know, so people like you were uh, an important part of uh, sharing what we were doing, sort of giving the long range plan and getting you involved so that uh, you know, hopefully you would come along with us. And not only did you come along with us, you came and joined us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was I was some so excited. It's <laughs> a very good presentation. <laughs> it got me on board for sure. Uh, but then now, you know, your role is is director of product management, uh, which I'm not sure everybody can, can, can glean what that means. Obviously, <laughs> you manage the products, but what does that mean on like a day to day for folks who are, who are loving the D&D products that are coming out now? Yeah, so uh, it's really everything from looking really far down the road, talking about, you know, like, what are we going to put out in, you know, 2025, 2026, uh, all the way to, you know, we released Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons this week. So when we release a, a book, you know, it's all about how are the numbers doing, what, where are we hitting on the bestseller lists, and uh, just the general excitement that something that we've all been talking about and working on for such a long time is actually out into the hands of fans. Like that's kind of the ultimate reward after you've been working on something for such a long time to actually see people respond, see people get excited about the product, talk about how much they love, you know, their initial flip through the book, how much they love playing it with their groups. So, you know, it really runs that full gamut of from the idea stage all the way to uh, get it into people's hands and everything in between. Yeah. 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 And then also like you are always thinking about ways in which we present our products to our fans as well. So, you know, sometimes it's in a box the way that the essentials kit or the starter set might be. And sometimes it's a book the way Fizzbands and Strixhaven and those books are, but you know, I'm sure that you've got other tricks up your sleeve that you can't reveal now. But you and Ray have kind of, in the, the future of D&D panels, have kind of alluded to, you know, exploring other other options and yeah. formats and things. Yeah, so that's actually one of the uh, really fun parts of the job is looking at what are different kinds of components that we can put together that will enhance people's play experience, really enhance, uh, you know, the the fun that people have at the table. And we have been exploring some fun new ideas uh, in 2022. I think you'll see some um, some interesting new components that we've never released before. So we've been doing lots of work. We've got an incredible uh, product engineering team and they come up with awesome ideas for how they can create, you know, we, we have like a concept uh, of something that we want fans to be able to do at the table they go off and they come back with, well, here's some ideas of materials we can use. Here's some ideas for, uh, you know, how we can put things together 
uh, all the way down to, you know, like the details around the packaging, the trays that are inside the box. What are some really beautiful ways that we can, that we can present a product? Um, I think um, the Curse of Strahd Revamped is a great example mm-hmm. of the team really just having so much fun with the components. Of course, this was an adventure that had been out for several years. Uh, and we went back to that adventure and we said, well, how could we really make the table experience uh, more, you know, just enrich the the player's uh, experience with that story by giving them really cool components, by giving them oversized Taroka cards, by giving them uh, maps that have, you know, a really nice coating on them. These are all things that we work with uh, the production team on these details that are very tiny, but our fans, I think, really appreciate and pay attention to those details. And so that's really fun. You know, even little things like having a ribbon pull that helps you pop out the components from the box, beautifully shaped boxes that are evocative of, uh, you know, the setting and the, and the contents of the, of the product. So, so that is one of the really fun aspects of the, of the job is, is getting to delve into those details and then seeing them come to life. It was always yeah. one of my favorite parts of, of going into your office, uh, back when we had offices, remember that? Um, and then just seeing all the prototypes and this box and this thing, and you know, sometimes without artwork on it at all, but just being like, how does this cardboard fit together in such a way that feels pleasing to customers when they open it up? And it's so fun. Right, right. And even things like coatings on the paper. You know, yeah. some, some coatings have a matte finish, some have a shiny finish. Our designers, our graphic designers and art directors do an incredible job of uh, mixing Coatings, even, you know, something that most people don't really think about, but you can add so much interest, visual interest and and tactile interest by mixing different uh, coatings together and doing uh, all kinds of interesting things that when you pick up one of our books, you know, you can actually feel like, oh, this feels good. You know, we have uh, these finishes that we experiment with, especially on some of the uh, alt covers that really it's it's about that tactile experience of just picking up the book and opening it up and experiencing that gorgeous art and uh, really immersing yourself in the IP and in the story. That's beautiful. And I think another key part of what you do and what your team does is I I can't think of a team in the building that you don't work with. Yeah, we get to, we get (laughs) to work with with everyone from uh, production to logistics, to uh, sales and marketing and finance and legal and the design uh, I, team, of course, the and like all of that, yeah, working yeah, together. Yeah, I, I think we really do touch you, kind of all aspects of the Everybody. Of the Customer yeah. service, yeah. So all that's that. nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it'll right. be really great when we actually see each other in person again. <laughs> One day. I imagine that. The Can't funny thing even. is, I was just going to mention, because I, I, you were you the first of us to move to West Seattle? Uh Probably. I've lived in West Seattle for 22, uh, 23 uh, years this year. 23 uh, years. So you're, yeah. I mean, you might be the reason why Shelly is here. And Shelly is the reason. She's 100% the reason. <laughs> Shelly's the reason why I am here in West Seattle. Yes. Uh, so it's the trickle down effect. And as we're recording this, we're probably less than a mile away from each other right now. <laughs> we yeah. probably are. And Greg, I drive past your house whenever I go to my sister's house. That's my, yes. my route to go to my sister's. So I see yeah, I see your car in the driveway and oh, oh no way. House. Oh my god. That's uh, so, awesome. so yeah, I, we all live in definitely in easy walking distance of one we another. We are definitely. <laughs> I can walk to both of your um, houses. And I remember moving or like when we were looking at houses and I think I had posted something like we're thinking about West Seattle and 
the next day, Liz showed up at my desk, like pulled up a chair. She was like, <laughs> "Let me can tell I talk you about to you for a minute." I was like, "Oh my god, am I fired? Like, why are you here?" And then she was like, "West Seattle is really beautiful." I'm like, "Oh, we're talking real estate, okay?" <laughs> And I like remember all your key selling point. Like you mapped me. Like you were like to get to work. You just do 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 this, and it's like twenty three and a half minutes to get there. And <laughs> West Seattle is the only place in Seattle with a sandy beach. And like I I I now use these same KSPs when I convince people to come. Yeah, to well, right. You have to you have to sell your neighborhood. You, have to, you know, pass on the love. I'm sure I told you the same thing, Greg. <laughs> you did. You did. I was like Sandy Beach. I'm sold. <laughs> the only sandy beach in Seattle. That's true. Of course, Alex. the water is forty-two degrees year-round, but and like yeah. covered in, in poisonous algae. But, yeah. but so what? Yeah, you know it's nice to look <laughs> at. It's a beautiful, scenery. beautiful scenery. Well, yeah. I, thank you so much, Liz, for a letting us uh, uh, know about West Seattle and b <laughs> all the amazing stuff that you have done for twenty. What, what, what's the total? Is it, you all right giving the total years that you've been here? Uh, yeah, so uh, I started in 1995 at Wizards, so 26 years. 26 oh, years. Oh my gosh, you've seen, you've seen things. Yeah. I graduated from high school <laughs> in 1996, so you've you've been. Yes, more and than I'm I've sure, been an adult. You've been here. I'm sure there are people who work for Wizards who were not born yet when I started. <laughs> I'm definitely noticing. I'm now at an age where I'm like, oh yeah, you weren't born. When I, yeah. my, my entire wizard's career is older than you. Yep. Here it's we are. Yes. Up. Well, <laughs> well, experience is a lovely thing. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I, I believe everything you say, as always. Uh, <laughs> always. Uh, you know, that wasn't just because you were my boss at one point. Uh, so. <laughs> you never know. She may be again. She, we just, it's true, right? We just, it, yeah. We all happens. find our way back to Liz. It's true. As, well, it was great to see you both and always fun to talk with you. You Thanks too. so much, Liz. Thank you, Liz. Uh, keep doing great stuff. Can't wait to see what comes in 2022 and beyond. I know. I can't wait to tell people about it. <laughs> you can just tell us now. Yeah. Just kidding. Right. Right, I'll, I'll tell you guys after we, after we turn off the recording. <laughs> <laughs> I tried, guys. I tried. We'll meet at the coffee shop in West Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Great to see you. Bye. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Everyone now knows the wonder of Liz Shu. She is a powerhouse that has been putting out D&D materials for longer than you've been alive. D&D books, novels, games. Miniatures, accessories. Miniatures. Yeah, she's, she has her hand in everything. Um, and she's just an amazing person. We talk about her in our Dragon Talk book. That's right. Yeah, she she's, does. She gets name checked in that. A big part of it. I mean, she's she's done so much with uh, with D and D over the years, and I'm so glad that uh, some of our listeners get to get a little bit of that through that segment. I agree. All right, moving on to Wolfgang Bauer and all of the fun stuff going on with Cobalt Press. Let's give a a call to our return champion. <laughs> Let's welcome back Wolfgang Bauer to Dragon Talk. Hey, yay! Yay! I'm so happy to be back. 
It's Yay! Such a joy to have you back on here. It's this is your sixth appearance on this podcast, right? You guys escaped me for a while by leaving the office, but I have found you again. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know, if not for that crazy global <laughs> shipping issue, you would have gotten your jacket by now that I we promised have. you. I think oh. on like visit four, <laughs> something like. But you know, it's we're stuck all on a cargo ship. Yeah. What would I do with the jacket? I never leave the house. So well, that's true. That's true. Ooh, yeah. Yes. A book jacket is probably a mm, better yes. answer. There you go. So yeah. Books. Speaking yes. of books, my goodness, we leave you alone for a few months I and know. You continue to crank out like 15 more Cobalt, Cobalt Press books. Cobalt Press has been cranking the last year and a half or so. We really have. Um, yeah. I mean, we even went to Gen Con to tell everybody about it. Like, we. <laughs> We must hear the details. Well, I'll tell you all about it, but it was strange seeing that many humans in one place. Oh. Um, so, yeah. I don't know where to start. Uh, I'll tell, tell you about the thing that shipped that you know Steve Winter, right? Yeah. Like Steve Winter. Rise of Tiamat and Ghost of Salt Marsh and Tomb of Annihilation. And I don't even know what all he has done design and edit work for. So much. But the Cobalt Press gang finally corralled him. And he wrote us a classic old school dungeon called Scarlet Citadel, which, yes, is 10 levels of adventure with a little village nearby, kind of like a homlet-y kind of village Mm -hmm. and and big, beautiful tabletop maps. Like, that springs to mind because that's the thing we showed off at Gen Con. We brought out these wet, dry erase maps, 10 giant, like, or actually 13 battle maps big fold-out battle maps, and everyone was like, I must have them. And then we said, there's an adventure that goes with them. And most oh. people said, oh, I'll take the adventure too. But a few people just said, just give me the Scarlet Citadel map pack, and I'll, I'll take the map folio. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. It was. We did the maps first, just like Under Mountain. Mm. And, and I said to Steve, when I said, do you want to write Scarlet Citadel, this fifth edition adventure? And he said, yeah, I said, we're thinking about doing the maps first. He said, oh, just like Undermountain. Yeah, that, and I'm like, you remember Undermountain? He's like, yeah, I was the creative director for the Undermountain box set. Wow. wow. <laughs> so, I mean, when it comes to dungeon crawling, he's got credibility. And um, he just did a beautiful job with this thing. That's what I love about talking uh, to you and all the old, those folks. You're like, oh, by the way, I have this credit where I worked on this thing in 1983. And right? Like, Whoa, okay. Well, then you do have that uh, amount mm-hmm. of uh, knowledge like, and experience to bring to this. But Steve is still running these adventures. Like, he was running Scarlet Citadel this last weekend at Game Hole, right? Nice. He took all the big maps, he plopped them down in front of people, and everyone's first question was, where do we get that set of maps? I <laughs> <laughs> like the map. The cobalt booth is just down the hall, but so, yes. I, I I have two questions. First one: When you said an old school dungeon mm-hmm. for like maybe new school people who might be yes. listening, like what does it mean to be an old school dungeon? What is that? Sure, I think I mean everyone's got a slightly different definition about this, but it basically means your characters go underground kill orcs and goblins, take their pie, take their treasure, right? It's a room-by-room sort of campaign. There's no overland. If there's a village or a town portion, it's only to get supplies, to go back underground. There's a certain amount of hack and slash, right? There's a certain amount of looting the bodies. We're just here to 
kill monsters and take their stuff. Mm, The nice thing about Scarlet Citadel and all of the more recent Tomb of Annihilation has this too, is there's more story to these dungeon adventures than there used to be, right? Mm. There's plots, there's factions, there's secrets. Um, So, I mean, when I was, I don't know, 13, 14, I, I just drew lots of squares, um, dungeon style maps, right? Like I just wanted there to be this room and that room and monsters. And my friends and I were very content to just kind of hack our way through level up and, and go get the big baddie at the bottom of the dungeon. Um, I think they've evolved a lot since then. Um, there's a little more story. Uh, sometimes there's weirder tricks and traps. Oh my God. The thing about Scarlet Citadel, all right, I got to tell you this. This is what I wish I'd had when I was 14. The <laughs> maps are great, big, full-color, beautiful poster maps, right? And you put right. them down. And even when I had pre-drawn battle maps, I used to put, like, pieces of paper over the sections I didn't want people to see yet, just so they wouldn't they would have fog of war. Well, the Scarlet Citadel maps, we, we give you a separate piece of paper, an overlay that's printed in full color. And so when the secret door is discovered, you plop that down on the map and suddenly there's another room. Or when the trap goes off and there's green slime everywhere, we slide that piece of paper onto the map right under all your minis. And suddenly the room you're in is covered in green slime. Right. No so way. every, yes. So we've got 20 overlays on top of 13 battle maps. And I'm like, this is so much better than the stuff I scribbled in wet, dry erase marker. And still do, exactly. frankly, sometimes use battle maps like that. But it's it's just pretty. What I a cool that. idea. It's like yeah. a mixture of the the digital play that people have been doing on like yes. 20 and things like that and the tabletop play, right? We and were so you get totally inspired by, by Roll20 and virtual tabletop stuff where it's easy to just flip a graphic, right? Or remove some lighting effect or fog of war. And, oh, well, now it's a pit, right? Yeah. Um, and it it changes your experience. So I think actually people having played online for a year and a half probably um, has changed the way we play at the tables now. Yeah. Like, do you think that if because people have been playing online and having access to all of these cool ways to really enhance your play space that now when we go back to the table, people are going to be like, where's the green slime? Right, I, I can't see it in my head. I Show mean, me the green always, slime. <laughs> there's always been accessories. You can buy Nickelodeon yeah. brand slime, right? You can, true. You, can yeah. you can make your own slime. You can put now. some Jello on the table, and it'll be gross. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, is the trap triggered by saying "I don't know"? Is that how you get the green slime uh, all over the room? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that would be perfect. Or there's always room for Jello. Yeah, there's there's some way of triggering. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of ways to make the experience more fun and more immersive. And I think, you know, more people are coming out into at least seeing their buddies on a Friday night to play. Yeah. Um, I was surprised by how many people were at Gen Con. I was Me not too. Sure when I saw those out. pictures. Like, right? Oh, but you could you could walk down the hallway without bumping into people. It was kind of nice um, that Did way. Do you feel like uh, like Gen Con in the uh, in the early eighties or something like that, where there was like there was a lot of people, but it didn't quite have that mass. Of, yeah, it was uh, you know, like, like twenty thousand people instead of seventy or sixty. Yeah, yeah, it felt more like that, where there's a lot of people here. They all want to play, yeah, but yeah. Um, 
but you didn't feel like you were crowded necessarily. Yeah, like a sardine. Yeah. Uh, well, that's cool. And then I bet that made for more personal connections with uh, the fans. Yes. I mean, we had more time to talk to folks. People came by. They were happy that Cobalt Press showed up with a great big booth. Um, and and we're curious about, you know, what had been going on because the online events are great, but there's no way to stop by the dealer room at the online shows. Exactly. Um, so, so, yeah, people picked up a book or just came to chat or said, what's coming? Um, and that connection of just sort of randomly talking to people, sometimes it's people who've known Cobalt Press for 15 years. They're like, yeah, I remember back when. <laughs> wow, I barely remember that. But... Um, <laughs> But they stop by and they say, yeah, what are you doing now? You know, have a chance to catch up. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I have one more question about Scarlet Citadel before we talk about some of the other fun stuff you're doing with all the sure. maps. And if people are buying just the maps, are they doing that with the intention to like populate it there on their own? Uh, I think so. Because that's really interesting too. I mean, some of the maps are pretty classic, right? Like Scarlet Citadel has stuff in it like, dire owlbears and a wizard <laughs> who is, hmm, shall we say, um, part of a lineage of a troubled family. Um, <laughs> there's a heritage of arcane weirdness in the Scarlet Citadel. Um, and, and that means, you know, some of the rooms are pretty standard, like an owlbear coop or, mm. um, you know, like you have. Right. And uh, a dwarven barracks or a wizard's library. And those sections you can use for whatever. And with that many maps for, like, not that much money, um, it's like 50 bucks for 13 wet-dry erase maps and 20 overlays. So you're, wow. <laughs> it's kind of a deal. Um, <laughs> we probably underpriced it, okay? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sensing some regret right now. There is some like, total uh... regret. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Retailers at the show were like, you know, you could be charging 75 or 80 bucks. And I'm like, I could? Yeah. Oh. Show Thanks special. for telling me now. Just kidding. Let me let me cross that out and write <laughs> right? $75 above it. Show special. $25 yeah. more. No. <laughs> logistics um, markup. Yeah. But I mean, people. People looked at the maps. They said, wow, this is great. There's like an underground river section. There's weird shrines and temples. Uh, there's libraries. There's a construct section. Steve went all out with the descriptions and the gameplay. And there's a beautiful section in the front that talks about old school play, about like restocking a dungeon. And mm -hmm. what happens when the heroes leave and come back? What should you do? Should you put in more monsters? What should you do? Well, I mean, his should advice. You put in more monsters. <laughs> yeah. So wait, is that what you mean by restock the dungeon, like with monsters? <laughs> yeah, with other monsters. Now, Steve is a little old school and mean sometimes. Like, oh, you didn't clean out the whole level and you didn't like close the portcullis that would seal that section. So of course something else crept in. Mm -hmm. But his advice is, you know, put some stuff in, but don't make it as hard as the first. Just don't leave it all empty because the monsters are like, great, new apartments. Look what they've done with the place, right? Like, Yeah, moving on up. There's so <laughs> much room up. in here now. I've got a whole I new barracks now. Spread out. Yeah, so... Um, well, there's, there's a lot a of appetite for that. Like, I think yes. I there's a lot of talk in, you know, the TRPG space about story and how streaming yes. has improved the storytelling. Uh, and you it know, has. And it really has. But there are so many people who just... 
as you said, just want to get together with their buddies and bash monsters and get the loot. Right. And, like there's a story in Scarlet City. There's actually two or three threads. But if you ignore them and just kind of loot the place, you can still have a good time. Right. Right. No one's going to make you follow the story. There are no plot points that unlock the next level. Right. Like you just got to fight your way down to the the darkest reaches and get all the, the best loots. Blue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's super fun. It's a whole different style of gameplay that uh, I'm it glad is. that you guys are out there, uh, you know. Yeah. Serving that niche, yeah, definitely. Um, so my one other question I know we were, I know we have more to talk about, but you did also mention that you said we're going to do the maps first, which sounded very intentional. But I was just yes, curious, it was why do you do why would you do maps first? Well, okay, so the Scarlet Citadel is based on an old dungeon of mine from I don't know 10 15 years ago. Um, and I had some notes and I had some sketches on some really terrible maps, and I'm like, I don't really want to publish this thing i want to do a better thing so we went to our best cartographer and said could you make these maps lush and interesting and colorful and then steve said okay these maps are kind of bad we need to connect this corridor to this and this is a bad like dwarves wouldn't engineer it this way and hey if we do this (laughs) then we can put in this secret passage like he improved everything about it but the cartographer john pintar is um he's an architect by training Oh, cool. So you oh, did like CAD style. So and and we were like, are you okay with drawing floor plans, John? And he's like, ha ha ha. Right? Like, what do I do all day? What was I trained to do? Drawing floor plans all day. So he made it a smarter, more interesting, visually great dungeon. And then Steve knew, like they had talked about what went on each each level has a theme or a direction, a style. Um, like the clacking caverns is full of tombs and bugs and undead. And it's unpleasant. But hey, it's it's not the first level. The first level is, you know, the dwarven barracks stuff. It's a little easier. Um, but they each have a style and a look. And, and Steve wrote to that. Um, and it was fun, right? He said I, he had someone else drawing much more beautiful maps than he ever gets. Mm-hmm. Um, right? And... And he just needed to sort of color by numbers is not fair, right? Like he needed to make them come alive with characters and opposition and link it all together. Um, but it was a collaboration between cartographer and designer. I love that. It's like it's like getting a, a writing prompt, right? Where you're like, okay, yes. here's here's the thing, and it's you know, it's, it's certainly easy, or not easy. It's certainly possible to write from from a blank page, but it's even it is. more easier or sometimes <laughs> more satisfying to do it with others, right? And so Yes. <laughs> if you've got that prompt uh or if you've got someone saying what if, uh you get a better result sometimes. And uh, Cobalt Press has always been fairly collaborative, right? Um we often have teams or groups working together um yeah. to make it better. And we've got another exciting one uh coming up. Uh Yes. Right, <laughs> it's actually just about ready to launch. Vault of Magic, oh my goodness, this Kickstarter. Um, we we uh, we said let's do a big book of magic, right? Like an encyclopedia <laughs> of magic items. Maybe people will like that. Mm. <laughs> Turns <laughs> like, out they did. Yeah, eight thousand people showed up, and it didn't hurt that we invited writers and designers and and sort of people from the field and near the field to contribute items, right? Uh, Vault of Magic has stuff in it by Deborah Ann Wall and Patrick Rothfuss and Luke Gygax and, I don't know, Todd and Megan Kenrick, um, me, 
okay, fine. I've got it. <laughs> Sold. Am I a selling point? I'm not yes. sure. Now Gail, I'm interested. Gail Simone from the comics world. Um, of all said, these people. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, you would write something for us? And they all said, yeah, I, yeah, just one or two items. And then some of them came back with like, you know, here's six awesome things. And others said, here's a legendary item that powers up. And we're like, oh, we have... We have opened Pandora's box with a bunch of highly creative <laughs> yeah. people. This could go well, and it did, but it was also a matter of, uh, uh, no, really, six items is fine. <laughs> Thank you. Because um, right. they were just bringing a lot of interesting stuff, some of it from campaigns they ran as streams, some of it from their home games, some of it from characters they just made up on the spot. But, you know... When folks like that say, I'd like to do a thing, I'm like, dear Mr. Luke Gygax, yes, we would like to have you in this book. <laughs> um, yes, it worked may. out really well. And then Deborah Ann Wall was kind enough to write the introduction for it. So cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I just love that. Basically, everyone you listed, I think, is a former guest of Dragon Talk. Uh, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really amazing, too. Like, we love being that, like, oh, yeah, those are all folks that would contribute such amazing, well, magic items, but all types of D&D material. Uh, right. So I'm so excited that you brought them in. It's not even the full list, but yes. But uh, we brought them in. We had a good time. And then, of course, we collected 900 other items and put them all together. And then we said, what if we do fabled items that level up? with the character as the character grows in power, right? Your item grows. It's a concept that's been around since third edition. Oh, that's kind of cool. I think it was called Legendary Items in third edition. I remember that, yeah. And we said, why isn't this in fifth edition? All right, we're going to call it Fabled Items because we're not sure we can use the term Legendary Items. But the concept is similar. Okay. Um, I love that. I love that idea of having like a... uh, an artifact or a, a, a you know a sun sword or something that like is is integral to your campaign and then it goes with your character and yeah. it gets better and better because that's the worst when you find an awesome item at like level two and you love it it's your signature item and then you get to level like you know six and you're like well this awesome item isn't quite it's so awesome not anymore. as awesome as I am at this yes. point right they, my they, heroes you have, you have surpassed your item in awesomeness right and and they come with more story and there's ways to unlock them and they're just Okay, they did get some of the coolest art. Um, <laughs> but it's a fun way to go about it. And to make it, like, I sort of talk about the guest designers because I'm always excited about them and how much there is in it. But honestly, it's a really practical book that I expect to beat the heck out of mm-hmm. uh, at the table because we, well, I think it was the editor, Megan Maracle, who... Uh, oh, yeah, we've talked to her as well. Yeah. She's another guest of yours, I believe. Yeah, uh, because of you. <laughs> yeah, and she's... Uh, she, I think she said, let's combine the tables uh, from from the open game license. So stuff from the Dungeon Master's Guide in the same table with stuff from Vault of Magic. And you only need to roll on one table. You could get an item you already know from the DMG, right? Or you might get an item that you don't know from Vault of Magic. But either way... If you're stocking a dungeon with magical treasures, you you don't have to like pull off two books and look in two places for separate tables and rolls. I don't know. I thought it was incredibly practical. I'm like, yeah, of course I want those combined tables. Megan, make make that happen. And yeah, so we well, it just to- increase. It, mean, it means that you're increasing your collection of of stuff, right? Right, now, your collection of stuff, and it's easy to access if you do like doing like the random rolls for 
what do you find? Or you're just trying to find a, a power appropriate, level appropriate, tier appropriate thing. Yeah. I mean, those. I was going to ask if there are random tables because that's some of the most fun it is of of getting magic items in any even for the DM and for the players just to well for the and, players it's like hi welcome to my shopping catalog dear dungeon master <laughs> my secret hope at Cobalt Press is that every single player of D and D in the world goes out grabs a copy of Ultimagic Magic and says here dear game master oh, we're giving you like, this for Christmas with yeah. little tabbed pages little like, tab wow. pages I want this and this. And the, I remember doing this like with toy catalogs. Me too. Yeah. That was right? my favorite. The Toys R Us. That's kind of what Volta Magic is. It's the Toys R Us catalog for D&D. So I have a lot of questions about magic items. Oh, all right. I, I don't do know if too. you're aware of this now, but oh. I am a, I'm a dungeon master. <laughs> I am aware. <laughs> so as a dungeon master. Um, okay. How many magic items are too many magic items to give to your players? It's a big question. And how often should you be giving them out? That's a great question, and I have two totally different answers. <laughs> okay, I imagine it. Prob- the answer probably does vary depending on the dungeon. Well, it depends master, on the but- kind of game you're trying to play, right? I used to be a low power, gritty realism, don't overdo it on the magic, kind of a Grinch of a dungeon master. When I, I at some point in my life, though, I said, "Why am I having less fun?" And I started giving out more treasure, and my players were happier, and they did crazier stuff with it. Mm. Um, I know there are guidelines for treasure power levels and how much treasure you should design into an adventure you're writing, right? If you're homebrewing your own adventures. Mm -hmm. Um, But those guidelines, I can't tell you which book they're in. Darn it. Uh, This is what I have an editor for. (laughs) but I think it's in the DMG. That sounds I'm right. I'm pretty sure it's in the DMG, but I thought they got adjusted in Xanathar. They might have. Yeah, that's might be right. All right. I'm not sure. I'm going to just be wrong if I open my mouth about it. But the point is, um, I think every character ought to have like something, at least a potion or a small weapon or some magical doodad in the first three levels. And then you ought to be handing out consumable items like candy uh, in the mid tiers and at high levels is where you run into trouble because you give them something too too good like a vorpal blade and you regret it forever right <laughs> uh, <laughs> until the rust monster comes but yeah uh, if you if you have a high magic campaign though that stuff gets disintegrated all the time oh, i love that uh what you said about making them do cool stuff because that is i think the secret to magic items where you yes. don't necessarily just do like oh here you get enough a plus three sword, which is better than your plus two sword. Like right? ho hum. You want to do something like a like a ring of jump or or yes. you know, something that like has a useful uh spell or 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 magical effect that increases the chances for crazy storytelling. Yep. And occasionally you want something that just looks really cool for a certain character, right? That makes you like, I don't know, the black knight's armor, or okay, so there's this whip of lightning. Uh, involved of magic. Mike Shea, Mr. Yeah. yeah, I like it. All right, so Mr. Sly Flourish, Mike Shea is one of our guest designers. He yeah. decided to say it's made out of blue dragon hide. You use this whip, it crackles, you do lightning damage. Um, it's kind of spectacular, really. Like I and I immediately, when he said, This is what I want to do, I'm like, okay, I have a dragonborn 
and I don't want him to be a, a red metallic dragonborn anymore. I want him to be blue and I want him to have the lightning whip because it would just look so great. Um, Wait, so he's using a whip of, from his ancestors? Uh, no. Maybe yeah, ancestors? right. Maybe you give it to a different villain. I hadn't thought it through entirely. But, <laughs> you know, it's the dragon Maybe it's his, slayer. his own hide. <laughs> ah. Yes. What if he's like so badass he just skinned himself and he was like, Ooh. Ooh. like reverse tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> reverse yeah. Buffalo Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where are those skills, buddy? Oh well, I turned them into this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I molted and used it. <laughs> he just shed his own skin. Yeah. So I mean, some of it's absolutely I mean, I had a list of items I wanted to talk about. I, I'm just we had oh, nautical yeah, yeah. items. We like with the previews when you uh, give us- well, I mean it ships in about a week. It's gonna be in stores by the middle of actually it's available for pre-order now on the Cobalt Press store. But yes, previews. All right. So for anybody who's playing like, I don't know, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, there's some mm-hmm. Fey items that I thought were pretty cool. Um, that fit right into that sort of thing. Like the Blade of Petals is this really brightly colored short sword, right? And the scabbard is covered in in flowers that always bloom because it's a fey item. Oh. And, you know, you can use the blade to make a nice perfumey, flowery scent. And I'm like, yeah, okay, so far I'm not impressed. Where's my power gamer thing? <laughs> and, and then there's the kicker. When you damage a creature with the Blade of Petals, it has to make a saving throw or it is charmed and i'm like oh i don't know oh. that i want to give that out but a villain with no but if a villain has it of course they're going to kill him and take it as loot mm. anyway i thought it was a fun item very in character for the fae yeah, yeah. charming uh, is always hard too right to to abdicate but you know, yeah. it could certainly be used in a, in a fun role-playing aspect, right? Right. And then there's a filter of luck, which is also a fey item, sort of a green bubbly potion that gives you good luck. Um, and when you drink it, you you make a couple of random rolls. But once before that, that potion is over, right? You just, you get to re-roll one of your d20s in a check wherever, oh. right? So it's... Oh, I like that one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, a halfling in a bottle. Like, Mm-hmm. It's halfling in a bottle. It's advantage in a bottle. It's like, yeah, roll again. Halfling in a bottle is more accurate. Yes. Um, what else? I like it. Yeah. Oh, and there's a dragon bone broth. I guess this is more fizz bands than witch light. Dragon bone broth. Yeah. It's a, there's a bunch of fantastical food and beverage items going into Vault of Magic. Oh, that's really okay. cool. Um, like cakes and tea sets. Like there's probably 10 or 15 items. Some of them are by our... Uh, our guest designer, Shauna Germain, did one that was really cool. Oh, okay. uh, and the Dragonbone Broth is made from um, made from dragon bones, right? Boiled down. Um, what does that do for you? It Well, just like you would think, the strength of the dragon infuses you, and it reduces your exhaustion level, and oh. it gives you some advantage on strength and constitution checks, saves for a limited while, right? It's... I mean, we call it dragon bone broth, but it's really a potion. Um, so it toughens you up briefly. It's um, just like when you have oxtail soup and you get the strength of an ox. Yeah. Yeah, it is like that. Uh, that doesn't and then happen there's one, for you guys? What's that? That doesn't happen when you guys uh, have soup like that? No? Oh, the, I, oxtail soup is my favorite for a reason, right? It's <laughs> healthy. It's yeah. like vitamin C. Anyway, there's a bunch more items. Man, there's like 900 items, but we just wanted to pick a couple samples. 
Is that the the total number? Uh, nine hundred and it's over nine hundred. Oh and then my if, God. Depending on how you count, there's some items that have two or three variants, right? Mm. It's like, well, do you want to count every like variant as a separate item? That feels so. At a minimum, nine hundred. If you count all the variants, it's well over a thousand. Wow! Um, so it's a big that's, collection. That's insane. That's yes. Uh, that's so many. Now, all right. When you are talking about creating magic items, mm-hmm. what is the if say you're a new dungeon master like myself uh-huh. who is, wants to make some magic items? Like, yes. what can you give me just some really top line quick tips on like here's what to do? Right. So, uh, man, I, I have on several occasions opened a, a contest or judged contest where people wrote in with their magic item. And so I learned there are a couple of things that are just super annoying to see, and they're not Mm. that helpful in play, right? Okay. Like certain items, the judges on one of these contests just started calling spell in a can, Mm. right? Because it's an item, sure, but it could have just been a scroll of whatever, charm person, or it could have been, like if it does just one thing, and that one thing is exactly like a spell, it's probably not a super exciting item. So... Mm. I would avoid just going straight to the player's handbook and saying it's got this one power. Um, It's cursed items. I know some people are fans. I don't like them. I think they're anti-fun. I know 5th edition doesn't do a lot with cursed items, and I think that's the right call. Um, So I would stay away from giving people cursed stuff or stuff with major drawbacks. The temptation is a game master is to say i'm going to give you this superpower but with a big drawback and in play you either get someone who kind of doesn't care about the drawback and it's giant chaos <laughs> or or you get someone who says i'm not i'm not going to use the power because the drawback's too much it just yeah. it takes the the sense of mastery and heroism out of it right you're not giving them a fun toy you're giving them a dilemma is what's happening. A Sophie's choice magic item. Yes. Can I can I suffer the consequences? Is it worth it? Um man, what other quick top line advice do I have for creating magic items? Well just taking I, on that the pedal of blades. Yeah. The blade of pedals, like having something that just feels descriptive in it, I think yes. is really, really important, right? Yeah. If you can get a sensory note in and it really just needs to be one, right? Like, oh, I don't know, Mr. Perkins and his green flames. <laughs> or, or you know, I draw my blade and I'm surrounded by the scent of roses. Everybody goes, oh, shit, it's him again, right? Um, that's, that's a nice character mark. And it says I'm using my magic. Um, or even just the Cure Light Wounds potions that that one dwarf alchemist makes. And they always and taste like shoe leather, right? It's like, <laughs> can we buy cure potions from someone else? I mean, right? <laughs> um, it's fun. It's fun to play with uh, sight and sound and sensory stuff because it's more immersive. So I, I'm totally with you on that, Greg. It's, it's a way to make the item stand out. Even if it's a plus one blade, if it glows a certain purple hue, makes it a little different. It yeah. means something. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, so that's going to be out in a week, uh, you said? Yeah, pretty much. Time, we're, 
it's launching. Uh, it should be hitting the hobby stores uh, middle of November. Kickstarter backers were shipping their stuff pronto. It's going to be on Roll20 and PDF and Drive-Thru and all those kinds of places that you go to. Um, virtual tabletops, hardcover, PDF, you name it. We're on it. So cool. I love yep. it. It's going to be such a great resource, I think, as you it said, is. for people yes. just to flip through, to do shopping, to even just mm-hmm. get ideas around campaigns based yeah, around some of these. Little uh, sticky tabs, players, and hand it to your game master. It works so every cool. time. That's so cool. <laughs> great gift idea, for sure. Yes. Possibly. Uh, uh, we're working on something else here for uh, the am, Book of Eben Tides with our friend yes, Celeste Conowich. Yeah, the Tides is, well, it's the Plane of Shadow is what it is. And it's the baby book I've wanted to write for um, 20 years. I don't know when I first got obsessed with this stuff. Um, <laughs> I was trying to figure out when. And it's, I love the plane of shadow. I love shadow magic. I love illusion. I love everything about the sort of walking between worlds. The fae are just the other side of the veil kind of um kind of setting and book of ebon tides is both a setting book and a super crunchy rule book um for characters from the plane of shadow so there's an arcane tradition like a college of shadow Mm. um there's a barbarian tradition about knowing shadows and incorporating their strength within you um there's there's new races like shadow fey but I think it all goes back to either Gygax or this old German poet who my grandfather terrified me with when I was like eight. Because <laughs> um, Gygax back in first edition loved Shadow Planner stuff and he like tied illusion magic into this and he had, he had some dungeons he wrote using that sort of concept. Um, but he didn't do very much with it. And, you know, 20 year old me was like, where's the rest of it? <laughs> um, and here it is. And now here it is in Book of Ebon Tide. It's on Kickstarter right now. There's two hardcovers, actually. There's the setting one with all the character options and the crunchy stuff. And there's one called Tales from the Shadows, which is like 14 or 15 adventures set oh, um, wow. in the Plane of Shadow. But because the Plane of Shadow is so close and adjacent to mortal worlds, right? Normal worlds, you can pretty much take them anywhere. If, if there's a way for your party to have a little magic, or walk down the wrong shadowed path, um, they can step over into a Tales from the Shadows adventure um, from the Forgotten Realms or Midgard or Eberron or wherever you like. Um, So yeah, that's like from levels 1 to 12, 1 to to 10. It's a whole, it could be a linked campaign. There is a plot thread that ties all the Tales from the Shadows together. But, But yeah, it's one of these obsessions. It's one of these things I've been working on for years. And I'm super nervous about it, honestly, because I love it. But it's one of those weird topics. Mm. Like when I say we're doing a big book of monsters or we're doing a vault of magic, I'm pretty sure people are with me on that. But when I say we're going to go to a sort of fey realm full of shadows and undead and weird magic and trickery, I'm like, uh, are you with me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is the season at the, at the very least. It is. It is very dark fey, fey lords and ladies, the fey courts. The other thing that inspired this is Courts of the Shadow Fey, which I wrote ages ago and Dan Dillon brought into uh, uh, fifth edition D&D. Yeah. Uh, courts of the Shadow Fey is an adventure for like eighth through 10th level characters, seventh through 10th level characters um, set in 
the plane of shadow. But everybody who ran it was like, where's the rest of it? And I'm like, what do you mean? It's a complete adventure. And they're like, we want the rest of the place where this adventure is. And that's really what Book of Ebon Tides does. It's like, here are the other elvish courts. Here are the shadow fae. Here are the sable elves. Here are these weird gnomes with blue hair (laughs) that hire themselves out as assassins and have a very weird fae queen. yeah, from the so, Court of Midnight Teeth, if that gives you any idea of how odd the gnomes are. Um, uh, yeah. Not just Midnight, but Midnight Teeth. Midnight, midnight teeth? teeth. It's like where the bad tooth fairies go mm. and turn into gnomes and decide. I love that. Yeah, they're they're sort of nightmare fuel for me because I already hate gnomes. I mean, kobolds <laughs> for the win, team kobold. Gnomes <laughs> are the worst. It's not gnome press for a reason. Right? If it were gnome press, it would be different. I'd be here with my little red hat. (laughs) Wolfgang the gnome. (laughs) But, you know, it's all those sorts of dark and creepy, fantastical fey things um, that make the fuel for this. It's uh, There's a whole section on fey magic. There's like a hundred fey items, armor, apparel, servants, steeds. I went nuts with the tables. Oh my I god, I can I, I can talk about this thing like for hours, and and at some point I'm always afraid. Yeah, tables, right? Tables I've got are like, right. Well, my editor was like, "This is table twenty three, and I'm like on chapter four. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't see a problem, right? Yeah, I don't think you can have too many. Yeah, um, like rolling dice. Yeah, you can't have too it many is. dice, and you can't have too many tables. It's true. So you said that this has been something that you've been thinking about for 20 years or so. Yeah, so, my obsession with shadow magic goes that far back. And Courts of the Shadow Fae is only six or six. It started in fourth edition, so that'll tell you how old it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what was it like to write it? Was it Did it just like flow out? Like, I've been keeping this in for 20 years. Oh, or did, I had it, a did you struggle more? Or I had a word file that was just like notes, mood boards, Art stuck into it, it, like weird, this bat, this strange bridge, this set of white (laughs) birch trees, like stuff that was inspirational or stuff that I showed my players when they visited the Shadow Realm, right? Like, and then I had this table, that table, this is how this works. So there was no shortage of ideas and like good juicy stuff to start with. The problem was, how do I make it all fit? Mm -hmm. And who can I get to help me with some of the bits that, um, you know, I I am still actually technically running Cobalt Press, so I, I couldn't write the adventures, right? Like Tales from the Shadows is all other writers, but they're fantastic writers like Richard Pedd and uh, I think Sarah Madsen and Kelly Pollock. Oh, man, it's a good crew. Um, Carlos Oval, I think, is doing one. Anyway, um, and Celeste Conowich, who, you know... Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think has also been on this show. Yeah. Uh, she is my co-designer on a bunch of the races and subclasses and and something else I'm forgetting. Oh, monsters. She did some of the monsters or we went back and forth on those. So getting it into shape was hard because I wanted to do an encyclopedia and I sort of knew we had to keep it down around 250 pages-ish. <laughs> Plus another 150 pages of adventures. Jeez. Well, okay. now I mean, it's spun out of them, control. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, you guys are, are known for having these uh, extremely 
let's we, say, uh, mean to trees kinds of books. Yes. <laughs> and this time we split it in two because the adventure book, I think the players will want to, who, anybody who wants to play the Shadow Fae or one of these weird gnomes or one of the bear folk who are in the setting, um, you know, they can pick up Book of Ebon Tides, the core book, and get all that, uh, plus the spells and items. But the game master, the dungeon master should pick up Tales from the Shadows, right? But you don't have to get both books. So we, we split them up this time. We that makes sense. Uh, that means that you, as Cobalt Pressed, uh, are not going out having to fell the trees yourself uh, and, and get them to the factories on time in, in, in this current climate. <laughs> it's a little known fact. Cobalt's hate trees. Um, <laughs> That's why we make such big books. That's why. Uh, no, we, you know, we try and keep it reasonable, and uh, it's all going to be on Roll Twenty and Fantasy Grounds, and I believe we also promise support for Shard Tabletop and Foundry. So we've kind of gone multi-platform for for virtual spaces, but the hardcover is just—I've seen the art rolling in. You can see it on the Kickstarter. There are previews. I- oh my gosh. So I'm looking at the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, lot. Yes. So okay, 15 races and sub races. Yes. That's a lot. It is. Now I mean it's like two or three variants of uh, the Shadow Fay and two types of gnomes and yeah, it's a, bunch. a lot. Yes, two types of bear folk. Um, and then ten subclasses. Also yep. a lot. Yeah, we've covered. Almost all the base classes. I'm hoping a stretch bowl or two will get us the last base classes. We'll see. Uh, 20 monsters and NPCs. Yeah, that's probably low. <laughs> uh, these sound actually quite horrifying. Birch oh, si- Siren. Yes, the Birch Siren, which what is-, is, well, all right. So I can't tell you exactly because Celeste had final say on the monster stats, but it is basically. You know the Fae legends like the Lorelei or the Rusalka, things that drag you into the water and kill you? Yeah. The yeah. Bird Siren is that for trees. And, you know, there's a lot more trees in the world than there is water. And they, they call you into the woods and you're never seen again. So, cool. I yeah. If you need a haunted forest and you think a banshee is overkill, this is maybe... More your speed. Why birch? Have you always had? You I mentioned know. the birch. I can oh, tell you exactly so why. I've mentioned birches a couple times. Well, partly twilight uh, and darkness and shadow, right? There's a lot of gloom. And so for me in the art, having a big white birch tree or a birch grove is really a clear image of there's, you can see the trees. You don't run into them because they're, they've got white bark. Um, but also because I grew up going to the Gunflint Trail up in Minnesota, like this Boundary Waters canoe area. Actually, the grandfather who terrified me with German poetry <laughs> put us there. <laughs> um, I'm thinking a trend. His influence right? is yeah. all over. It all, all makes over. sense now. <laughs> but all those birch trees, I mean, they make a lot of noise in the wind. And at night, they're just spookier than other trees. They sway more. Right? Yeah, they do. So for me, those are very fey trees. Um, and maybe they aren't for everyone else. Maybe for everyone else, it's Hawthorne and Oak and Rowan, and that's fine. You put your trees in your version of the Plane of Shadows, but as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, in Wolfgang's Corner, it's all birch trees, and they all are haunted by sirens, yes. I dig it. Uh, Can we talk about a couple other ones? Sure, no, I'll talk about all of them. I mean, I'm just 
I uh, I feel like which one would I want to? Okay, the Moon Shadow Catcher. Moon Shadow oh yeah. Catcher. All right. So we haven't even talked about Shadow Goblins in the Plane of Shadow, but there's a variant. One of the fifteen races is called Shadow Goblins. Okay. And they're like Kender but uglier. They're like halflings but more magical. Um, they're really great at lunar magic. They're the servants of the High Fae, right? The elves and the Shadow Fae and all those folks keep goblins around to do all the dirty work. But they also have a city of their own in mm. the Plain of Shadow, uh, which is Fandival, which is sort of at the outpouring of this Black River, and they collect moonlight and souls there. And the Mooncatcher goblins are basically the ones who say... Dear fellow goblins, stop doing what the elves tell you. Stop paying attention to everyone else. We can be powerful on our own. Mm. Um, so they have particular powers. They have... Uh, I don't remember which version of the abilities we wound up with at the final text. It's still in editing. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of who they are, right? They, they are... Um, they're a nasty bunch of goblins who live in the shadows and control moonlight and can use it to do basically illusion and shadow magic galore, um, which I Is love. It? I love the goblins being a little darker than just he's yeah. got a spear and he wants to, you know, stab. Stabby, stab, stab. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, can you tell us about lunar magic? What does that mean? Is it oh, just sure. the shadow and, and, and uh, well, the bear illusion folk, you're talking about? Yeah, so the bear folk, oh man. All right, uh, now we got to go into like Wolfgang disclaims on lore of the shadows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's why we you're here. I, love I know, but like usually I'm used to talking about rules and crunch. But in this case, the goddess of the moon is deeply involved in the plane of shadow, as far as I'm concerned, because shadows and moonlight go together. Um, so her light is something that makes it possible to inhabit the plane of shadows, right? You can't just have darkness. You got to have some kind of light, but it can't be sunlight. So it's the goddess of the moon plays a big role and the bear folk are big followers of hers and the shadow goblins are big followers of hers. And so druid magic around the moon and a whole bunch of the new spells in the book um, relate to calling down lunar energy, using lunar transformations, making nets out of moonlight to put down in that dark river by the Goblin City and fish out, you know, souls and stuff. Um, it's pretty dark and creepy in some ways, but it's also the light that makes the Plane of Shadow not just a gloomy, sad place full of undead badness, mm -hmm. uh, but also a place where the bear folk and goblins can carve out a real living and heroes have a little bit of hope that things get better. Um, writing in the positive notes on the plane of shadow was actually one of the challenges creatively, right? It oh, was yeah. easy to go dark and say, dark queen, well, it's Maleficent, right? And it's, um, it's bad elves and it's undead ghouls and it's birch sirens. Um, but putting in the positive notes of whether well, the bear folk have, you know, happier gods and goddesses. Uh, the patron goddess of the bear folk, uh, she's all about honey, protection, <laughs> bees, community, you know, huddle up for warmth, dream sweet dreams. Uh, Bang to the bear maiden is, is one of 
Celeste Conowich's creations that got imported whole cloth into the plane of shadow because she's she's a goddess of dawn and light and sweetness, right? So we needed that too. That makes a lot of sense because it, it you know, in you talking about your conception of the plane of shadow, right? There's a lot of similarities to the Shadowfell or or sure. uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, how it how it expands on that. But you're very much focusing more on the Fae side of the darkness, which yep. I, I love that you, what you just said. Right? You can't just have shadow all the time. You got to have some light and moonlight. Yeah. If anybody, I mean, I'm sure people listening have been out with a full moon in a forest at least once. It's magical. You yes. don't know what is around the corner, but you can see, but you can't really see. Uh, and it, it's it's rife with uh, imagination there. And so I'm so glad that you guys are tapping into that because that makes uh, yeah. it not oh, just figured, one note. Right. Well, Ravenloft kind of has a darker note covered, right? Yeah. And the Shadowfell, I'm not as familiar with because I've been doing my own thing on this topic for so long. But my sense is it's dark and bleak and barren or it's less... Fay, a lot less Fay and whimsical, or Fay and moonlight ridden. But I mean, there are ghosts. Um, there are there's a lot folk. of darkness. <laughs> there's a lot of darkness, but, um, but yeah, there are happy little cities, and every one of the Fay courts, of course, is a glittering, wonderful place. And there's like a dozen Fay courts described in Ebon Tides. So, cool. so um, each with, you know, rulers and quirks and trickery. Oh, my God, the trickery tables. You might like these, Shelley. Uh, there's tables on, you know, what? I'm throwing my players into a, a fae encounter. What makes it weird? What makes it strange? So there's like five or ten tables at the back that that just make that easier to, to bring to the table, right? Oh, that must have been fun to write, too. Yes. Oh, those were a blast. Um, Fae magic was a lot of fun. Uh, sort of tables of tricks, adventure hooks all over the place, of course. I think that, I mean, from my perspective, I knew Ravenloft was out there, uh, and I didn't want it to be that. I wanted the Plane of Shadow to be um, dark, fae, slightly gothic. Um and then, of course, Witchlight came along, and I'm like, oh, that's way more whimsical than we are. <laughs> um, but the two pair pretty well as a, I think, as as two different takes on that. And the material in Ebon Tides is just going to expand anybody who says, let's do the Shadowfell. Let's, let's just tack it onto Eberron, right? Let's put a shadow world on the other side here and run a couple adventures in the shadows. You don't need to go plane hopping full bore uh, to get a little something out of it. And what I like about what Cobalt Press does as well as, you know, what what Wizards is producing out there is like so many Dungeon Masters are making their own world, right? They're taking yes. they're taking the maps from Scarlet Citadel and, and putting it wherever yep. they want and it's just a continuation of do it. So I almost see these books as inspiration fuel for everybody. And yep. you can pick and choose what you want. You can use it whole cloth or, you know, some variation in between. And yes, the more All stuff that's material, out there, it's better for everybody. Yes, it's more material. It's really beautifully illustrated, written, play tested. Some of it's, like I said, some of it goes back to fourth edition and has been around the block a few times. We know why it works or doesn't. <laughs> um, other stuff is brand new. Most of this book is brand new text. Like there wasn't a lot of Shadow Realm stuff to pick up other than Courts of the Shadow Fae. Um, 
and we put Courts of the Shadowfay back into print. If you can't wait for Book of Ebon Tides, <laughs> we actually reprinted the hardcover adventure. So just the Courts of the Shadowfay, if you've got an eighth, seventh, eighth level party, is uh, is a taste of of that kind of shadow and witch light uh, Sweet. setting. Right. Yeah. All right. It runs the Kickstarter ends, I think, the 17th of November or so. All right. And it comes out in the spring or summer next year? It comes out next summer. We'll, we're going to have it for Gen Con. Uh, the text is in editing. We're still trying to figure out the stretch goals a little bit. But, um, but yeah, it'll be out next summer. Certainly, we're going to share material, more previews on the site. You can go see some of the art now. Some of the classes get some discussion. Oh, even some of the gods of Shadow get discussions. So. Oh, cool. Nice. Well, thanks again so much for coming on, Wolfgang. I, I have, feel like I have like three solid ideas for campaigns after talking <laughs> with you, uh, which Good. is always the case. I love that. Uh, wow. It's a blast talking to you guys. Uh, Wizards has been like on a tear lately, and so Cobalt Press is just trying to keep up. But uh, <laughs> But I think it's great for everybody. There's just so much excitement, so many people running good games right now. Uh, and we're just trying to support that by saying, here, take this Encyclopedia of Magic and run with it. Um, yes. Or or expand your Shadow Realm. And it is, in fact, a tome. Always. Mm-hmm. Very big. We expect yes. nothing less from the kobolds. We like our big books. We cannot lie. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on a T-shirt for next year. Okay. <laughs> it will sell like hotcakes. It yeah. probably will. Yeah. Well, maybe right, well, okay. we'll stretch goal. What's yeah. the best play, way for people to to find out about all the stuff that Cobalt Press is doing, as well as you know you personally? Sure. Um, Cobalt Press is at coboltpress.com. Uh, we've got a Twitch stream at Cobalt Press. We've got a YouTube channel. We've got a Facebook group and a fan group for Facebook at Cobalt Press. And a Twitter also at Cobalt Press. But for me, <laughs> if you're just looking for me, I'm usually on Twitter at Monkey King. And I show up on the forums occasionally on the fan site, the Facebook fan site. But really, it's Twitter. Find me on Twitter. Nice. Um, or find me on streaming uh, on occasions. We do Cobalt Chats on Wednesdays where we just talk about our new projects on, on Oh, Twitch. that's fun. Yes. Dot fun. does those. So anyway, oh. many places to find us. Did I say Instagram and Discord? We're on those too. Really, any platform. Everybody. We're everywhere. This is what happens when you leave kobolds alone for 15 months. They multiply. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many of you and so many, on so many platforms. That's amazing. From all sides. Come on, kobolds. And these books just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They do. Which is it's good so for great. all of us. Well, yes. my shelves uh, don't thank you, but we are uh, excited to, to get more and, and uh, uh, get it more on the table. I love it. I like it. those maps. I think I'm going to I know those, those maps. Sure. I'm going to slide some of those over the Zoom channel your way. Awesome. We can set you up. You should see it. these things. You both should see these things. I mean, I now that wait. I am a dungeon master. It's right. right. You need some maps, Shelly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I need maps. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, it. Wolfgang. Have a great Thank time. You. And we'll have you on again soon, I'm sure. Can't wait. Thank you very much. Lucky number seven. Great being here. <laughs> we'll get that seven timers jacket. <laughs> yes. Ready. <laughs> see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. What a great time talking to Wolfgang. I missed him. I didn't realize how much I missed him. 
I know. I, I didn't realize how much time had passed, but I don't feel like enough time has passed for them to be able to have three new books. Yeah, each like a thousand pages each with 403,000 magic items in each of them. It's amazing. They do such wonderful work at Cold Blood Press. If you yep. haven't got a chance to check out those books, they're a great uh, addition to your Dungeon Master library, right, Shelley? Definitely, because now I get to start a library. So great. Yay. Uh, oh my God, those maps, though. Those maps do sound cool. I know, I know. Fantastic stuff. Uh, but speaking of maps, there are amazing amount of dungeon maps in Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons. Uh, so uh, make sure you check out that if you haven't already. It's in stores everywhere. And then coming December 7th, Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos, will also be out in stores with lots of great stuff to mine for your campaign, whether it includes a magical academy such as Strixhaven or... Um, just using some of the mechanics and core uh, behind having more real-life simulation going on in your game, like relationships and what those can mean for you. So lots of great stuff for Dungeon Masters to pick apart and use in Strixhaven as well. All right, Shelly, we did it. That's another episode in the books. I am uh, excited for more and more folks to get into Dungeon Mastering just like Shelly has. You can find out all about that uh, through reading the Dungeon Master's Guide, but also checking out DungeonsAndDragons.com getting Dragon Plus uh, downloaded to to your iPhone or Android phone, uh, signing up for the D&D newsletter, or just following uh, D&D on social media, wizards underscore D&D on Twitter. Like the Facebook page. Check out our Discord where you can find tons of new games and players to test your newfound Dungeon Mastering skills on whatever platform makes the most sense to you. Um, And then if you want to follow... Us, I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And what about you, Shelly Moo? Hi, I'm at Shelly Moo um, on Twitter and Instagram. Nice. Yeah. Very exciting for all of uh, you to check out our book uh, on Dragon Talk. Coming out next year. Still very excited about everybody on that. Uh, And there's going to be lots of fun things for you to learn when you check out that book. Just like all the other books that we're talking about here. Books. Books are great. Books, books, books. So now we turn to the ongoing adventures of Drunky Two-Shoes. Oh, boy. She's currently in a fight for her life against (laughs) doppelgangers in a cellar in the sea ward of uh, the dock ward of Waterleap. Waterleap? Waterdeep. I like Waterleap. She had just thrown some acid at some of these doppelgangers who screamed in pain, and her brother, Daryl Two-Shoes, is about to land a, hopefully, killing blow on one of these doppelgangers. Um, But he rolls a nine um, and is just able to hit the doppelgangers. Uh, He's actually rolling with advantage because he was hidden, uh, but nine was the best thing that he was able to do. So he's able to do some sneak attack damage. Um... And gets uh, 12 points of damage on the doppelganger. Uh, So, yeah, you see uh, Daryl kind of leap up in the air. This is the first you're able to kind of see him at this point. um, uh, Rising above the fog cloud that you have cast, as well as the splashing acid uh, as their doppelgangers are reeling and screaming. You see um, a short sword blade come out of the mist and stab one of these doppelgangers in the back who, uh, you know, is now doubled over in extra pain from both the acid splash in his face and the stab to his back. Um, he is still up, however. Um, and Sansa also makes his attack 
um, and uh, is able to take the attention of the other two doppelgangers, but does not able to do damage. So he's concentrating on just making sure that uh, the two tabaxi he is with, his Harper comrades, are still alive. Wow. Uh, The doppelgangers now are up, um, and one of them uh, tries to attack you, uh, but Samson is gets in the way, and he takes a oh. blade attack uh, that is successful uh, against Samson. Uh, oh and no! He, um, and he takes uh, seven points of damage from that. Samson. The other attack on Samson is ineffective, uh, oh, no. um, and so yeah, it's now going to be your turn at the start of the round, Shelley. Okay. Okay. Well, you know what? I have this bonus action I keep forgetting to cast. I'm going to do my Hail of Thorns. All right. Ah! But I first have to hit with a ranged attack to make it happen. So I'm going to go for a Firebolt on... Is anyone more damaged than another one? Yes, the one that uh, Daryl attacked. Okay. Then I'm going to go shoot a Firebolt at him? Ah! Yes. All right. Fire shoots out. Uh, And it... A 19 hit. That's a hit. Yeah. And this is big damage here. 2d10. Well, it's 10 points of damage. And then my Hail of Thorns is coming for you. Hail of Thorns. Hail. I do realize that I say that word probably incorrectly. <laughs> um, it's an upstate New York thing. Oh, an additional nine damage of the thorns. Wow. All right. So uh, with all all those attacks on this one doppelganger, uh, his body kind of crumples. So you you, you shoot out with a fireball that hits that you had just been hit in the back after the acid splash. um, And this like porcupine quill, like hail of thorns uh, comes down upon him. Uh, and he, uh, or it, or they get peppered with all these minor cuts. It's like death of a thousand cuts. Lots of slashes uh, from the thorns hitting him. Some of them sticking into uh, the amorphous goo that is his skin uh, that transforms into different things. Um, And it collapses to the ground, leaking a a purplish blood all over. Oh, gross. And, uh... Daryl just looks up uh, as he had just laid this blow right before it. He's like, why didn't you do that before instead of all this fog cloud business? I forgot. I forgot I had it. But nice hit, Daryl. Thank- <laughs> nice to see you on my side. You too, sis. Uh, and he uh, puts up his little paw and then like a little... Paw bump? Paw bump for you. <laughs> <laughs> now let's get these other two. All Samson's right. like, a little help, please. Oh, Samson. Can I throw him... I can't heal him. What can I do? Well, we'll pick it up next time. We'll see what you can do uh, as it is going to be uh, their turn. Yeah. Yeah.